0: we are starting a new series called Follow. Uh, it has been a very interesting week with the, the promotion of this series. Uh, I, always find it, um, I always find it kind of ironic, you know, sometimes we'll put a lot, a lot of energy into trying to promote a new series and a lot of it is on social media. And sometimes I I anticipate really big, you know, a lot of people to show up on the first week and usually it doesn't happen. And you know, today is crowd's a little bit down. I'm not sure why, but that's okay. Uh, But this week has been really interesting because of the response that I have had from the advertisement of this message uh, on social media. spent a long time uh, dialoguing with probably two or three people uh, who are of a different view than what I'm about to teach. So it could be that those folks are watching. So I'm going to be very, very uh, respectful in, in what I say. But uh, if you do come across the ad on Facebook, read some of the comments that have come in, all right? Because uh, it's fascinating to hear the various kinds of perspectives out there when you talk about this really simple concept that we're going to do all month uh, in February. So the series is called Follow, and today we're going to, to answer the very simple question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Next week, we're going to talk about why the church, and we're going to talk actually about church membership in the 21st century. The following week, Gavin will be back, and he will speak on the subject of will it cost me anything, just being a Christian mean I have to do something? What does it cost me? And then the fourth week, we're actually going to do in the service a spiritual gifts survey, where you will actually be able to discover what your natural God-given and what your spiritual gifts are. We're going to do it right here in the the service, okay? Uh, But today, we're going to answer this question, what is a Christian? And you say to yourself, why would you even bother with that? This is a church. We should all know what a Christian is. Well, what, what I have learned in watching people uh, over, again, the last about two decades of pastoral ministry is that there are a lot of people who sit in a lot of churches who can't really answer that question. Or the answer that they have to the question is an answer that you do not find per se, in the pages of the Bible. So when you think of that word Christian, and people who may be watching online, you think of that word Christian. What comes to your mind? You know, what is a Christian? And I find in talking to people, these are some of the views that they have. So if you're baptized. And a lot of people in Quebec, they were baptized as as infants. Well, if you're baptized, then you're a Christian. Or maybe uh, you wear a, a cross around your neck. That must mean you're a Christian. I mean, you see somebody, they've got a cross. I guess that means they're a Christian. Or maybe it's because they go to church. You go to church, that makes you a Christian. I mean, why else would you go to church, some people think. Just as an aside, there are a lot of people who go to church who are not who are not Christian, per se. They go to church for all kinds of reasons. Uh, the first time I went to church, it had nothing to do with God. It had more to do with a girl than anything else, okay? Just saying. That was a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Their p- political party or views, you know, okay, that if a person supports conservative values or views or if they live in the United States, you know, they, they, if they watch Fox News, they must be a Christian, Uh, If they like, you know, President Trump and and Vice President Mike Pence, then they must be a Christian then. Uh, if They're a good person. Good person? Well, I guess that means they're a Christian. Uh, Well, maybe they're born in a Christian family. Uh, My parents were Christian, so I guess... That makes me sort of automatically a Christian. Well, I'm Catholic. Well, I'm Protestant. I mean, we have all these kinds of things that pop into our head when we say, what is a Christian? And then we go the, the other direction. Well, if you're, if you're anti-LGBTQ, then that must mean you're a Christian. Because Christians are, you know, they just hate LGBTQ. You, you should listen to my message on the subject from a few weeks ago. You'll get my view on it. Um, if they're anti-abortion, they must be a Christian. If they're anti-euthanasia, which is really hot right now in the province of Quebec, all the controversy with proposed changes to the law, well, you must be a Christian. If you don't drink or smoke, you must be a Christian. If you don't cuss, you must be a Christian. If you don't live together, then okay, I guess you must be a Christian. That's what a Christian is to some people. It's a, it's a list of things. You, you, you do this, you don't do this. You love this, you hate this, and if you do those things, then that means you're a good Christian, all right? What does it mean to be a Christian? I want to read something to you. And this is going to be a real light bulb moment for you, all right? But I really need you for the next few minutes to listen to what I'm about to read you. And I want you in your own, in your own mind, in your own heart, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm just not going to ask you to hand in something on paper like we did at Christmas time. It's just between you you, yourself, and God. All right. I want to read something to you and I want you to decide whether what I read to you, you, you you strongly agree with. So I'll read it and you say, I have no problem with that. I completely agree with everything that you're saying. Or maybe you're sort of halfway say, well, I kind of agree but there's something about it that just i don't know like i I, i'm partially you know i'm i'm halfway there but i do not fully agree with everything there or you're you're of the opinion i completely disagree with what you were saying all right so i'm going to read this to you and i'm going to tell you where it's from after uh, so listen closely, all right? And try and answer in your own mind, your own heart. Am I, am I for this completely? Am I, well, partially agree, partially disagree, or do I completely disagree? One should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. I'll read it again. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Number two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Number three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Number four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego your own. Number five, beliefs should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. We should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. Number six, people are fallible. If we make a mistake, we should do our best to rectify it and to resolve any harm that may have been caused. And number seven, every tenet, and these are the tenets that I've just read, every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. So those are the seven, in this document, they're called tenets. And uh, the reason why I read this to you is because in my dialogue with some folks uh, through Facebook who commented on our ad, uh, one of them sent these to me. And I, I pretty quickly recognized what they were. Uh, But had to do a little double check to make sure. So maybe you're of the opinion when I read those things, you're like, no problem, I completely agree with that. Maybe you were halfway there and you're like, I don't know, there's something in there that just doesn't feel right. Or maybe you're like, I totally disagree. So here is the light bulb moment for you. And again, this this may be a little bit shocking to you, maybe a little bit surprising to you. What I just read to you are the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple. So there is a belief system, relatively new actually, this particular version of Satanism. But these are the exact word-for-word tenets from the Satanic Temple movement. So I was in dialogue with a, with a real live Satanist, what I would call a contemporary Satanist, uh, also an atheist. Um, Another set of dialogues, and we were back and forth back and forth debating and all this stuff again you can you can read it and see um, and again these these gentlemen may be watching right now, so I want to be very, very respectful. But I read this to you today because it speaks to the question at hand: What is a christian now if you If you uh, heard all of those things and you 're like, "I have no problem with that." Uh, Or, you know, uh, there's something about it that I don't know. There's warning bells going off in my head. I'm not saying that this is necessarily the case. But it may be, it may be that your version of Christianity is a little bit more like a list of do's and don'ts. And uh, I love this and I hate this than what we see in the scripture. When When I dialogued with this contemporary Satanist back and forth, Uh, Where the conversation stopped uh, is where I said to him, um, you know, it sounds to me like all this is about self. And it's about you determining or the, the person who follows this determining their own understanding of justice and nobility and compassion and wisdom and love and all that. And they essentially become their own little gods. And I asked him, is that correct? Uh, To my memory, there was no answer given, but it is obvious if you know anything about Satanism, that is the principle of it, is that you essentially become your own God and the center of your world is really yourself. And it's not that, uh, that... Satanists don't don't have ethics and don't have morals. Some of them have very strong morals and very strong ethics, but contemporary Satanism re- rejects the idea of a real Satan, rejects the idea of a real God. They're atheists in their in their view, as this gentleman was in the way that he expressed himself. But the point is that there is no God. God is dead. I am the God, and they have a sense of. Um, real disdain toward the concept of that we need to actually follow someone besides ourselves. Now when we have a brand of Christianity that is about rules and regulations and you do this and you're a Christian, you do, do, do not do this and you're a Christian, you should love these things as a Christian, you should hate these things as a Christian, and if you do those things you're a Christian, when it becomes a list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and those kinds of things, what it does become is about us. And it becomes about ourselves. We need to be really, really careful in this day. That we do not define Christianity the way that, quite frankly, a contemporary Satanist would. Because... The, it, is, it is striking to me that many, many times believers can slip into the trap and people who, who profess to be followers of Jesus and Bible-believing Christians can slip into the trap that when you really boil Christianity down, it's about a, a, a bunch of lists to follow and a bunch of regu- regulations. Some of them are purely created by us. But when Jesus is not the center of attention, we become the center of attention. And that is just what this individual who I was debating back and forth, uh, th- that, was, that was where the debate started to end. So, what is a Christian? The word Christian is used Three times in the Bible's New Testament. Only three. Uh, That may surprise you a little bit. But every time that it is used, it speaks of something very, uh, very clear. And um, so uh, Acts chapter 16, we have the, the ongoing journeys of, of Paul and, and Barnabas and so on. Uh, and and we, we pick it up in Acts chapter uh, 16, verses 25, 26. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to a place called Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians, there's the word, first at Antioch. Christians first at Antioch. Acts chapter 26... Uh, The apostle Paul is in a bit of a religious debate himself with uh, uh, Festus, the governor, who was kind of presiding over Paul as he's trying to make his way to Rome to face uh, uh, charges. And and so Paul and and Festus are are dialoguing and Festus interrupts Paul in his defense. And he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. He said this to him because he's talking to him about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, and he says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa uh, says to Paul, Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian. There's the word again. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 4, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. What then is a Christian? Quite simply, a Christian is a follower a follower and you'll see different different words in the new testament you see the word disciple a lot that meant a student uh, a learner a disciple a follower of Jesus that is what a christian is and you're thinking to yourself duh there is a big difference between defining A Christian as a follower of Jesus or as a person who follows a list a list of do's and a list of don'ts. There is a very, very big difference. And Jesus spent a long time preaching to the crowds about a relationship. This is what you see in this word follow. So he uses the image of vine and branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. That speaks of a relationship. He uses the the image of a father and a child. He He tells the people to pray, our father who is in heaven. This is a relationship. He uses the shepherd and the sheep. I am the shepherd. The sheep know my voice and hear my voice and they follow me. He, he spent a long time trying to trying to drive home the point that God is offering a relationship with himself through Jesus. So a Christian, quite simply, is a person who follows Jesus. And this implies a relationship. So let me give you an example of this. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. Uh, This is uh, from the Gospel of Matthew in the Bible's New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sort of four narratives about the life of Jesus, okay? And Matthew writes here about himself, and uh, the text reads this way, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. In Mark, and Luke's account, he's called Levi, and he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me give you a little bit of background so you can understand how powerful this was in the life of Matthew. Um, Matthew, Levi, as his name is, uh, was a tax collector. And if you study the way that the Romans collected taxes in the first century, you have Judea, which is under Roman rule. Everything is under Roman rule back then. And the Romans had a very elaborate and very unjust system of taxation. I mean, you think living in the province of Quebec is bad, okay? If you lived in first century Rome, you would be taxed like a, it was almost like a marketing scheme, you know, like a network marketing scheme. And what they would do is they would have these insiders who would buy the rights to collect taxes from the Jewish people. And so Matthew, a Jew himself, was a tax collector. So they would view him, his fellow Jewish neighbors would view him as a traitor. They'd view him as a good cop, bad cop, uh, somebody on the inside working for Rome and trying to line his pocket. They would view him as a sinner. He would be hated by his own people. He would be scorned by his own people. He would be uh, uh, an outcast by his own people. Nobody wanted. To be around him because he was a tax collector. And here you have Jesus who runs into him in the public square and Jesus says to him, Follow me. I mean, nobody would have said that to Matthew Levi. They, they would have said, Get away from me. But Jesus is saying, I want you to be part of my band of followers. I want you to follow me. And this is why Matthew's reaction is to he just picks up everything and he follows. And if you read in Mark's and Luke's account, you see that he he had a big kind of a celebration like a dinner at his house, Matthew. So it's like this the, the concept for Matthew would have been, how can this be? How can this rabbi who everybody's talking about want me? And he says to me, "Follow me." Everybody doesn't want to be doesn't want to be around me at all. I'm a traitor. I'm a turncoat. Uh, I'm, I'm ostracized because I'm a tax collector. I'm working for Rome. I'm like, a, like an insider for Rome. And yet this Jesus wants me? So he's going to have a big dinner. He's going to have his fellow tax collectors at the dinner. You read that in in Luke's account. And while Jesus is having dinner with these people, I mean, people who nobody wanted to be around, you see the other people are coming. It says, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And the Pharisees, who are this ultra-religious, ultra-legalistic, ultra ultra you know, religion is about a list of do's and don'ts and you're to love this and you're to hate this and you're to do this and you're not to do that. For them, they were, the, they were like that. They were the religious elite. They see Jesus eating in a tax collector's house with a bunch of other tax collectors and a bunch of sinners. And then they, they, the Pharisees challenge the followers of Jesus and say, why does your teacher eat with these people? these tax collectors and these sinners. And Jesus gets right into their face and he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he tells these religious folks, you only see this passage in Matthew, I think, uh, Matthew being Jewish, and he says, go and learn what this means. And he quotes out of the book of Hosea, the Old Testament prophet, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And if you look at that passage in context, uh, God is saying to his people, all of your sacrifices and all of the stuff that you're doing to try and worship me, you know what? I'm not accepting it because you are not showing mercy to one another. You have missed the heart of the matter and you have become legalists. And Jesus says to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew was called to follow Jesus just as he was. And Jesus said, you follow me. And he dropped everything. And he said, I will. And what this means, and you can see this all over the Gospels, and Jesus would get into these fierce debates with the legalists of his day, and he, he, would, he had a, a word that he would use for these legalistic folks, and he would call them actors. We see it translated as hypocrites in the English version. The word in the Greek meant an actor. These people who would walk around in the Greco-Roman Empire with these masks on their face. And they would be out in the streets and they would do these kind of mimes with these masks. And he he would say to these religious folks, you are like actors. Because what you have done is you have turned the worship of God into a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations. Do this and you're a good worshiper of God. Do that and you're a good worshiper. But if you don't, it's bad. You're going to, you're going to be condemned and this kind of thing. And Jesus had fierce, fierce debates with these people because for Jesus, and this is where we have to understand, we ask the question, what is a Christian? For Jesus, if you are an unbeliever, if you are a doubter, if you are a sinner, these things are prerequisites. They are not disqualifiers. So this, if you are in that boat, that is a prerequisite for you to become a Christian. He is not looking for people who are self-righteous and self-centered and people who say religion is a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts and a bunch of lists. You're to love this, you're to hate this, and that means you're accepted by God. No, you come to God as you are, and as you are is a mess. You may be a doubter. You may be an unbeliever. You may be a sinner. You may be, you know, these these folks who I was dialoguing with online. You know, professed Satanists, the profess nihilists, the profess atheists. Those are the people who Jesus is looking for. These are the people who He reaches out and He says, "Follow Me." You come and you follow Me. And here's if you're going to learn one thing in this whole message today. Religion is, is this, change yourself and you can follow Jesus. If you define Christianity that way, that is religion in a modern definition of the word. Change yourself, clean yourself up, and you can be a Christian and you can follow Jesus. Just fix yourself and then you're in. What relationship and what this concept of follow teaches is you follow Jesus You make Jesus the center of your life and you will see yourself start to change. Do you you see the difference between the two? It's so quiet. I think you're still thinking about the Satanism thing, okay? We have to get this in our head because I'm, I'm so convinced that the definition that a lot of people have of what is a Christian is very similar to what the Pharisees thought what a good Jew was. And it may even be similar to this view, this contemporary Satanism view where it's all about us. It's all about ourselves. We make the rules. We say what is right and what is wrong. And it's us, us, us. Unless it's Jesus, 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 it's not Christianity. It's so quiet. He has got to be the center of your life. You have to be following him in a relationship. And then you begin to see yourself changed. I have seen it so many times when people start coming into church uh, and people are, you know, they, they, they're consistent and you, you, you begin to see that there's some kind of commitment that they're making to their local church. And then somebody comes and tells them, hey, you know, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this and you should do this. And they, they begin to get legalistic with them. And they begin to present to them, this is what it really means to be a Christian. Why don't you see if Jesus can do the changing? Why don't you see if God, by His Spirit, is actually able to transform somebody from the inside out? Why is it that we think that we can do better than God? It's so quiet. Why is it that we we feel like, hey, we've got this thing really figured out and we understand what it really means. And no, why don't you let God wash people from the inside out? It's a lot more effective, but it requires a lot more faith. Follow Jesus and you will change. And you see in Matthew's life, he he just drops everything and he follows. Is he perfect? Does he know everything at that point? No, he knows very, very little. All he knows is that Jesus called him and he said yes. And he began a relationship. And now 2,000 years later, we're reading his book. It's part of the Bible. Religion says clean yourself, and then you can present yourself to God. Relationship says to us, you follow Jesus first and watch the transformation begin. So you have to come to a place and I have to come to a place where we know that we have be, begun an authentic relationship with the Savior. The rest of the stuff is going to come as it, as it may. As you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to learn different things. You begin to learn that, hey, this kind of behavior that I used to engage in, I don't think that it's something that Jesus wants me to do. This kind of lifestyle that I used to live, I don't think it's something that Jesus wants me to do. And a person begins to develop conviction, personal conviction, through growing in their follower Uh, in their following relationship with Jesus and they begin to change and they begin to be transformed. That, my friends, is authentic. But when it's rules and regulations, what that leads to is frustration. What that leads to is an understanding of Christianity that, I mean, it's never going to bring you joy and bring you freedom when you're trying to do things to please other people. When you're doing it because of Christ and because He lives in you and because He's changing you from the inside out, then it begins to be real. Then it's you and Him. It's not you trying to imitate somebody else. It's not you trying to follow somebody else. It's you following My question to you now is, have you begun an authentic relationship with Jesus? John, another one of, uh, uh, of the apostles, he writes it this way in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Wow, that is very black and white. That is very either or. There's no gray zone in there. There's no, I'm not sure. There's no, I don't know if I feel it or not. No, it's very, very simple. The gift of eternal life is offered to humanity. And that gift of eternal life, and you you read through the scriptures, say, what does what does this mean, eternal life? In the here and now, it means that you are set free from the power of sin in your life. And it begins now, that eternal life where you learn to live a different way because now it's Jesus living through you. It's not your ego, it's not your pride, it's not your rules, it's not someone else's rules, it's Jesus who who is living through you and transforming your life, that is eternal life. And it starts now. It starts the moment that Christ is in you. Whoever has the Son has life. The implication there is that you can, in fact, have Jesus in your life now. You can make a decision somehow that Christ can be in your life. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So the question then becomes, do you have Jesus or don't you? You say, how would I know? Is there a little litmus test? You know, if I go and stand under a, a light, is it going to turn blue if I have the sun? or Is it going to turn red if I don't have the sun? Like, how am I supposed to know if I have Jesus in my life? Have you ever asked him? Have you ever asked him to be a part of your life? Have you ever personally said, Jesus, I want to follow you. See, the implication in John's writing here is that Jesus is alive. How can you have someone in your life who's dead, who died 2,000 years ago? The implication is Jesus is alive and he wants to be the center of your life. He doesn't want rules and regulations. He wants him, he wants himself to be the center of your life. And through that relationship, you will learn to live a different way as he begins to teach you and live through you. But have you accepted the gift of eternal life that has been presented to you? Have you made a distinct decision and said, Jesus, come into my life? This is done by personal invitation. For some people, it is a very clear moment in time, like it is for me where a person can remember I specifically on this day and at this time asked the living Christ who rose from the dead to come into my life and begin a work of transformation. For others they can't remember a certain day certain time but they know that they have crossed that line and they have this authentic living breathing relationship with the Savior. My question is where are you at? Maybe you've been, uh, you, you profess to be a Christian. Maybe it's been years and decades. Are you a follower of him though? Is he the center of your life? Is he the expression of your worship? Is he the number one priority? Is he where you spend your time and your talent and your treasure? That's what it means to follow Jesus. But have you made that decision? And there are a lot of people who are basing that on, well, today I feel it and today I don't feel it. The text cares nothing about what you feel. It cares about what you have done. God presents eternal life to us through Jesus. Do we, do we take it or do we reject it? This is the question that we must answer on this side of the grave. If we are not sure if we are answered, have answered that, we should make sure. If we're not sure that we're following Jesus, we should make sure. But the point is, it should be very, very clear and very simple. There is a line that you cross and you say, yes, I am a Christian. Why? Because I follow Jesus, because he is the center of my life. So that really, in the end, what it boils down to is have you done that? You can tell me what you think of euthanasia and abortion, LGBTQ and all these social issues. You can tell me about your morality and your ethics. You can tell me that you've been baptized. You can tell me that you attend church. You can tell me that you teach little kids Sunday school. You can tell me that you've memorized the Bible. The question is, do you follow Jesus? There are a lot of people who memorize the Bible, who are baptized in water, who teach Sunday school. who attend church who who are deacons and who are I mean there's a lot of people who do that but they don't really follow Jesus they've got a whole lot of intellect but no substance do you follow Jesus is he the center is Christ the center of your life you're not going to be happy with rules and regulations because they're going to change over time Somebody will say something. You'll say, that's a convincing argument. You'll say something. You'll say, that's a convincing argument. You say, well, I should live this way. If I'm going to live for God, I should live this way. No, it's Jesus who will tell you these things. It's Jesus who will reveal these things through his word and through his spirit. You should come to convictions based on what Jesus says, not what somebody else may say to you, but what he says. Is he living through you? Is he the center of your life? And for a lot of of us the priority becomes more religion and less relationship when you have an authentic relationship with christ and i know you're saying you're repeating yourself add add at you you keep on saying it the reason is we need to get it when you have an authentic relationship with christ you can walk into difficult times my friend You can walk into into periods of darkness that come upon your life. You can walk into the very valley of the shadow of death and come out on the other side, okay? Because you have Christ holding your hand through the whole thing. Because it's not based on rules and regulations. It's based on your relationship with Him. And I just have a feeling that there are some of you who are watching and some of you who are listening, and you're like, I am so tired of religion. I so desire to have a fresh relationship, a fresh walk with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is what I want. That's what's going to make the difference. I'm so confused with all of the other stuff. I just want Jesus again. I just want him to be front and center again. Maybe for some of you who are here, you're like, "I've I've never... Ever, I can never remember a point in my life or even a gradual phase where I actually thought and actually willfully asked Jesus to be the center of my life. I just, I just, I don't think that I've ever really done that. I, I'm a good person. I'm a, you know I, I don't I don't live a certain way I don't do this i don't, I'm a good person I'm not asking you if you're a good person I'm asking you if you're a forgiven person I'm asking you if Jesus is in your life that is the question if if you were to stand in eternity today if you were to to through through some a horrible circumstance. I mean, uh, the sports world now is is grieving the loss of a superstar who lost his life along with a number of other people just a week ago. It can happen that quickly. If you were to stand before God today, what would your answer be to the question, do you have Jesus? Are you a follower of of Jesus. The question is not going to be, you know, what did you think of this political issue or how much Bible have you memorized or were you baptized in water? That's not going to be the question. The question is, what have you done with Jesus? Did you follow my son? Because eternal life was offered to you through my son. Did you take him or leave him? That is going to be the question. So, Luciana, I'd like you, if you'd come to the keys... We don't need the rest of the band. Just Luciana, if you would come and you would play something on the keys for us softly. And if we could have the house lights on, uh, I want to just have a word of prayer with you and give you an opportunity, give you a chance to respond to the invitation that God gives you. Yes, you say I go to church. Yes, all these things. But maybe something has, has cut through all of that this morning. And you say, you know, I want to take the hand of Jesus again. I feel like I've slipped out somehow of relationship with him and it's not really about him anymore it's about all these other things good things perhaps but it's become about all of those things and I just want him I just want him to be front and center again or maybe it's something that you've never really done in your life God forbid that you would attend a church and you were never challenged, never directly challenged. Do you have the Son of God or don't you? Well, now you're challenged. And now you're accountable for what you hear. So I'm just going to give you an invitation to respond to what God gives to you.